Hola, Doreen. Hola, Paddy. Um, bienvenidos a Agora. Welcome to Agora. I'm super excited to and have this opportunity to have this talk with both of you. Being that I'm Mexican-American, I have a lot of, I wouldn't say experience, but I, would, I do have a lot of knowledge around just like contemporary art in Mexico. Lately, there's been, you know, such a emergence of like this digital art landscape in the city lately, which or I know something about, but not um, extensively. So it's great to have you both here to have you share your knowledge and your expertise and to give us some insight into why Mexico City is this new hotspot and hotbed for all this creativity in the digital arts and, and the networks that you both have helped to create and, you know, how we can all learn more and definitely learn more about Mexico City and Mexico, you know, entirely through through this new movement. So thank you for joining us. So I'd like to begin, Doreen, about Antimateria, which is your platform and giving us a little bit of background. And then we'll go into Patty's presentation around Janet Forty. So if you want to begin, Doreen, then we can go ahead and start with you and have a conversation through there. Yes, brilliant. Well, first, thank you so much for having us here. And well, for everyone who joined today, uh, welcome. <laughs> uh, we're hoping to share a little bit more of an insight about how we've been able to understand and in a way unfold into what we've called, in a way, the contemporary digital art circuit in Mexico City. Even though neither Patty or myself are from Mexico City, I think it's an interesting perspective as well to see how once we've moved into the city and understood other sort of ways of approaching and creating these collaborative spaces, how this expanded into what we have as a practice today. So actually, <laughs> Patty and I met through Antimateria when I was starting this platform back in 2015. And I think that's something that I found always very important while I was developing this platform was that I was very interested in, in digital practices and whatever was going on in Mexico, but I couldn't really find a place to start. I couldn't really find like a spot to say like, oh, this is a website or this is a journal or a blog or something that can allow me to understand what's going on currently within these, within these practices. And even though I could see that in exhibitions, especially at the Laboratorio Arte Alameda, or even at some, well, the Museo Universitario de Arte Contemporáneo that sometimes used to have like certain approaches to media arts and of course Transitio, which is, was, I'm not sure if it still is, but at least it was a festival that was dedicated to media arts as well. I still wasn't sure that these were the only places that I could find these practices. So I was very interested in, in creating or understanding at least who was creating these, these areas of, of exchange and of engaging with more emerging artists. So in 2015, I was actually working for an arts magazine that has very recently disappeared. <laughs> it was called uh, Revista Código. And uh, I started there as an intern. I had just very recently graduated from architecture school and I was very much aware that I didn't want to to work within the architectural field, at least not in a traditional way. So I started working there uh, as an intern and writing and doing some interviews to architects, but little by little, I started moving into what was going on within contemporary art practices in Mexico. 
by this point, I was already interested in digital practices, but I had no clue where to start or how to even propose to my boss that I could write something perhaps about this. He was always like, maybe this is not something that we should be writing about. There's not enough information or the community is very small or, you know, like this kind of conversations about like, well, show me where I can see more of this and then maybe I can allow you to do this, this, this and that. However, at the time, this did not exist as such. And even if I started, you know, like trying to approach artists and trying to uh, write to the museums that I knew that had an interest in this uh, this kind of production, I couldn't really find more. So that's when I decided, of course, you know, like this is something that needs to be done and that hasn't been put into, uh, I don't know, like a perspective in in which this is an area that is uh, interesting to research and understand in a deeper way, then I might as well start the place to do so. So that's how Antimateria started. I was only looking for creating like a, yeah, like a information platform that could maybe just host a series of profiles of artists and art practitioners that were interested in this, in this kind of production. And that was pretty much it at first. So, yeah, well, when when Antimateria started, to be fair, I had no clue what I was doing. (laughs) I was just very, very pushy about the fact that this sort of conversation needed to be had. And I was like, well, if no one is doing it, I might as well do it myself. I had no clue how to do it, but I was there. So that's how Antimateria looks today. This is the landing page. And it pretty much started with two areas, which was this one that's called Eye Candy, where for 246 weeks, I've been sharing exhibitions and projects that happen worldwide and that have to deal with uh, media arts, but then also about potential research that's being held locally and internationally as well. And everything is available in Spanish. This was something that I found very important from the very beginning because I realized that a lot of the profiles of the artists that were working with media arts, even if they were Mexican, all of their information was only available in English. Of course, this in a way makes sense in the, you know, in the scenario that in Mexico, there wasn't much space for them to develop their practice. So it made sense for them to have all of these uh, information about themselves in English only. But I thought, you know, if this is a conversation that we want to have within Mexico's contemporary art circuit, generally speaking, then we should have the proper means and availability and accessibility to do so. So for me, it was very important to have everything flowing in in Spanish. And the first area that I had um, all together with the eye candy section was the profiles section that I very recently expanded into, let's say, the second chapter. All of these uh, profiles belong to practitioners uh, that are interested in developing either creative work or research or even uh, curatorial practices engaging with digital arts. All of them are working from uh, by and from Mexico. Some of them have been moving around to other countries and developing other sorts of work, but most of them have a very close relationship with with, with, what goes on uh, locally. So this was very much the first first area that I um, shared in Antimateria, and that's how I met (laughs) Patti. I think at first for me it was like, well, I know this person that is doing this work and that I find interesting because of several reasons. And then I interviewed them and 
created their profiles and shared that online. But of course, within this conversation and within these interviews, I very quickly realized that having an information platform for talking about digital arts in Mexico was probably not enough because the people that could uh, reach these places or that would be the main audience for this website would already be someone who is interested in these practices, right? So that did not really help build a stronger or, or more audiences outside of the ones that had already existed. So that's how I understood that the needs for building networks within our own community had a lot to do with how can we go outside of this filter bubble and actually engage into other conversations in order for us to be, you know, uh, linking with other with other practitioners and with other people that might be interested in this but don't know yet. <laughs> so that's how I created this second part of Antimateria, which is the exhibition part. This was not a fast thing to do uh, from 2015 and, and until 2017. Antimateria was mainly an information platform and it mainly had only these two areas so it wasn't until 2017 that I started doing exhibitions both online offline and a series of hybrids between both these started mainly when I was uh, doing my my master's degree in curatorial in contemporary curation and curatorial studies that helped me a lot understand what the needs of, of creating an exhibition with these characteristics mean and how can we expand into understanding the methodologies behind. Because since I hadn't really graduated from art, from art school before this, for me, sometimes it was very, very hard to understand the logics behind doing an exhibition. Because for me, it was very much an architectural job. It was very much a designing a space and creating experience rather than actually engaging into a critical conversation about the content. So this helped me a lot to understand what things come into play uh, when you're doing an exhibition. I wanted to share with you a couple of them, but I, first of all, I want to finish with, uh, with the third area that I recently added, well, around 2017 as well, to this website and is the these recursos académicos area, the academic resources area, which is something that I realized was also very much needed and also very close to this first idea that I had towards having uh, information available in Spanish. Uh, at first it was only information and it was only about, you know, getting to know the people who are working within this field. But then very quickly, of course, I realized by doing my master's degree that Another part that was missing was everything dealing with research and with, with understanding from and by Mexico what is going on in terms of uh, digital practices. So I started writing some essays myself and I started creating a series of collections like this one, which is Curatorial Strategies and Post-Digital Arts. I'm talking about things like digital culture and the politics of the intangible uh, the digital body, uh, human-machine exchange, and these sort of things. And uh, this is something that got reinforced when I started working as a lecturer at the Universidad Autónoma del Estado de México three years ago. So I started teaching at the BA in Digital Arts, and I realized that then again, a lot of the bibliography and references and 
essays that they could read in order to create their own practice were only available in English, or if they were available in Spanish, it was the translation of some of something that did not necessarily engage with our local context. So I thought it was very important as well to have this uh, local view on what's going on in terms of, of this sort of production. So yeah, this was the third and last area that I added to Antimateria, um, which is always in constant flow and changing. And uh, in a way, I think Antimateria will be like a lot of things in life in a perpetual beta stage. <laughs> Just, you know, adding, removing and remixing and rethinking what are the needs of this community and how to actually reinforce these networks of, of exchange. But most importantly, I've always thought that this has to be done through a very sensible way and through, yes, networks of, of affection. So for me, it's very important that all this content is available, accessible and free for everyone, um, always. So... Sometimes that gets, you know, very hard when you have no funding or other sort of resources. But I mean, this is something that I've always thought that is is just, you know, a key conversation to be had. And I'd like to finish off with one exhibition that I curated last year for the Hello, Hello World Festival, which is a, a media arts festival dedicated to women that work with self practices. And well, last year. I had the opportunity to curate the exhibition that was called Ligera como una pluma, tiesa como una tabla. I don't know what's the proper way to translate that to English, but it's mainly a quote from a movie about young witches and rituals. So this exhibition was held at the Museo de las Culturas del Mundo. And... It's a, well, it's basically a way of approaching what goes on in terms of female digital practice in Mexico. And so even though all of these artworks look very differently and even approach the notion of creating or building through digital tools in very particular ways, I thought, you know, by putting this together and sharing this around and having conversations towards what does it mean to be a woman creating through digital means in Mexico, well, that's, that's, that was like main, the main part or the key starting point for the curatorial process behind this. And interestingly enough, this year, Patti <laughs> is the selected curator for uh, this year's edition of this festival. So I thought it, this might be an interesting way to pass the mic to Patti and yeah, for her to share with us her practice and what she's been working on for the past years. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Lorene, and thank you for having us. Uh, we're really excited for this talk. And uh, I just want to quickly introduce myself by saying that I studied visual and media arts, and I graduated with a focus on curatorial practices. But I was always sort of interested in what happens when an artist starts curating or what the boundaries are on artistic practice and curatorial practice. And so I specialized in that. And then when I graduated, I started working for commercial projects. I worked for several galleries and now I work for an art fair. And so my business partner, Luis Nava and myself, we started thinking about how we could, we've always been 
big fans of digital work and uh, digital practices and new media practices. And so, and he also worked in commercial projects. And so we started seeing a, a big gap in, especially in the Mexico City gallery scene. There weren't many digital artists or just in general, but especially Mexican digital artists. And so we wanted to create a space for the people we were fans of, basically, and we were friends with. And we felt like we we sort of had the know-how to start, you know, something that could help them gain a financial aspect to, to their work because there wasn't any project or gallery that was helping them. That's how we started Janet 40. I want to show you some of our work. Okay, so the first thing we did is we started with Mexican artists and creating limited edition of pieces. And we worked hand in hand with them. It was a very long process. And we basically produced a piece with them. And that was the first, that was what Janet 40 was at the beginning. We only wanted to do this and to create a digital gallery of all these works. And so this is the first piece we, we did. This is our first baby. <laughs> this is a table that we did with Luis Hidalgo. After that, we did this towel with another artist from Monterrey. His name is Daniel Perez Rios. And he works a lot with sound. And so we wanted to work on something physical that could be sold. That was very important for us. We realized collectors here in Mexico and all over the world, really, but especially here in Mexico, we realized that people love objects, ourselves included. We thought maybe that was maybe something that affected why digital practices weren't being sold and bought that much. We created this towel with Daniel. And what it does is when it gets wet, it showcases a password. And then you put that password into our website and you can download a song, which is a piece by Daniel Perez Rios. And so we like these objects to be sort of a container for digital artwork, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, then after that, this is, these are the two more recent editions that we did. After that, we work with a, another Mexican artist. He's a poet and he does sort of everything. We created this product that it's, it's glow in the dark rice. Uh, I don't really want to get into it because it's really, really strange. <laughs> <laughs> but it's glowing the dark rice and it's sold as a as a product and it's an edition of five. And right. this has been sold pretty well, which is weird because I think it's the strangest thing we've done. But <laughs> is it is it edible, Patty? It is. Okay. <laughs> it is edible and it's supposed to it's supposed to save you from alien capitalism. <laughs> when you eat it, it inoculates yourself. <laughs> and then after that we did this uh pillow with an artist from Austin. Her name is Hannah Duby. And this comes with some recordings of her and a video of her guiding you of how to sleep. So after doing these two first pieces, 
we realized very quickly that we were running out of money and that we also needed to show them physical spaces Mm -hmm. and that people needed to see them and feel them and touch them and you know and if we were working with objects we might as well like showcase them and so we started doing exhibitions with these works that we did but also showcasing work by other artists this was i think in 2017 so we did two shows that year, all of them by Mexican artists. We only had like one Chilean artist in that first exhibition that we did, but the rest were Mexican artists that we were really interested in and we wanted to showcase and we thought they weren't sh- being showcased enough. After those exhibitions, we did Technodesonics, which was strangely enough our first digital exhibition. This went really well and I want to stop here for a second because this is the first time that we really collaborated with international artists and artists that we were big fans of, like Maria Forque. This went by, this was really, it was amazing for us because we noticed that our project was being noticed. We also got the opportunity to connect these artists with other people from around the world. And it, it stopped being something so niche. And it started being noticed in more places. I think I haven't mentioned it, but janitory doesn't really have a space. So we do pop-ups. That has worked really well for us. Our next pop-up that we did was in a gallery that the name was Progreso Gallery. So we did this exhibition. It was a 10-person exhibition. And what we did is we made this magic eye images, which are the ones that when you get really close and then step a little bit far away, an image appears. And so what we did is there were three letters hidden in a way in these images. Those three letters, you put them into the URL of the gallery, and then you can actually see the work by the artists. So it was kind of like a hidden exhibition. You go into the space, but you really don't see the show. The real show is online, but you still have to go to the space to access it. This exhibition, which was also part of the Wrong Biennial, we worked with a lot of artists that had pieces that were products, that they were, they thought of them as products. And so it was kind of like a little shop that we created in the gallery space. Then after that, and I think this is our, yeah, this is our most recent curated exhibition. We did Luz Azul, which was a complete video show. It was only video works and it was all Mexican artists and it was part of of like a series of curated shows that they're doing at this place called Casa Bosques. It started getting more interesting and during quarantine, a lot of people started inviting us to actually do pieces ourselves and not curate shows, but actually work as artists. We participated in this, in this show called Any Two Things in the World Are Connected by a Third. The Secret is figuring out what the third thing is. And we did, it's an AR app that hosts eight pieces by different Mexican artists, and we did one. And so what I think was very interesting about this exhibition is that there's a lot of artists there that are emerging artists, but already kind of known in the Mexican art scene that don't usually work with digital work, but they did it for this 
one exhibition. And so I think this shows us how the landscape is starting to shift and how a lot of people are really started to starting to get interested in these practices. And so the other part of the work that we do is we go to fairs and we show work by Mexican artists alongside international artists. And so the first fair we ever did was a weird one because we did a design fair. People didn't really get it. And we were like alongside office furniture and stuff like that. Weirdly received, let's put it that way. And then after that, we went to Material Art Fair, and that's where we noticed that we might as well just accept that we are an art project and not really a design one, because people tended to get it more, and it was more appreciated as what it is. And so this is the first year we did it. We showcased Monica Lopez, Real Madrid, Luis Hidalgo, and Daniel Perez Rios. And then after that, we did Material Art for Volume 6 in 2019. Then we did Material Art for Volume 7. That was this year. And then we went to Swab Art Fair with Julieta Gil, which is an amazing Mexican artist. And Swab Art Fair was in Barcelona, and it was the first international art fair that we did. And this is something that Doreen and us, we collaborated in. And it was the Yamichi, and it's something that uh, we did in the CCD, and we can talk about it later, Doreen, when we talk about the CCD. But it was uh, like a market of objects from the internet. And then what's coming up for me is, as Doreen said, curating the Hello World Festival, which is for women in digital arts and digital creativity in Mexico. And I'm really excited for this one. I think it's really important to say that it's run by all women and it's an independent uh, project and they raise all the money by themselves and the final show is in a museum so it's very impressive what they're doing and so that's it oh i love that picture of us (laughs) (laughs) that's cool is that when you first um when you first met each other or is that recent (laughs) no that was actually last year Yeah. yeah That's wow. from the Anna Riddler exhibition. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I think that's seems- something important to point out as well. Patty and I have worked and collaborated in different extensions for the past years. So yes, sometimes it is from within and uh, let's say a collaboration that builds from both sides. And sometimes it is a collaboration when one's the curator and the other one works more as a producer or mm-hmm. as, you know, helping out installing the artwork or, you know, anything in between, to be honest. Yeah. So yeah. we've worked together for the past couple of years for the mm-hmm. Salon de Arte y Tecnología of Fundación Telefónica. And last year we we showed the artwork of Anna Riedler, who, who is actually a British artist working with AI. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, and Patty and, and think- Luis actually had to install all of those pictures. <laughs> And I think uh, Doreen's skill set and mine uh, complement each other a lot because Doreen is more focused in, you know, theory and stuff like that. And I'm like like a producer curator. So I'm always like hands on. Do the exhibitions or anything that you ever work on ever take place outside of Mexico? Or for the most part, have you 
only collaborated on any like public art fairs or things like that within Mexico. I think only in Mexico. Right? Mexico, yeah. <clears throat> Thank you so much for those presentations. They were amazing, and I can only describe you both as trailblazers <laughs> in the <laughs> in the, the digital arts in Mexico. So it was really, you know, really interesting to hear all of the progress and all of the steps and bricks that you guys have laid for not just digital artists, but women in digital arts and the whole community. So the first question, I have a lot of information and it's a lot of great uh, resources that you have provided as well. Just having the both websites available, Doreen, with the the portfolio and the academic kind of side of work. And then uh, Janet Forty that has more of like that kinds of exhibitions and, and work that your artists have produced already. I kind of want to start with like networks of these artists because I know there were both websites built to support these networks and to you know, have a platform for these networks to exist and, and share their work and things like that. Because I know a lot of the networks have been popping up and they're just kind of exploding all over the city into these small artist-run projects or collectives and things. And, and now they're focusing more on digital art. So can you tell us a little bit about like some of the digital art networks in Mexico, how they work? How do you connect with them? For, for Janet Forty, it has been a labor of researching artists. Like mm-hmm. I said, this whole thing kind of started because we, we really believed in our friends work basically Mm -hmm. and so a lot of connections have stemmed from that and also instagram (laughs) we just look at instagram a lot and and yeah we could we just write to people and and if they like what we're doing then we collaborate i think for me it has been i don't know sometimes i like go back in time in my mind and i think how naive I was when I started Antimateria. Because <laughs> I was like, yeah, of course, this is going to be like, you know, super easy to just go on and understand what's going on within this art circuit. And as for someone like myself, who had at that point very recently moved to Mexico City, who hadn't studied arts, well, I had just no clue what was waiting there for me. But um, <laughs> but I think that uh, in a way, for me, you know, when when I started doing these interviews, that's how I tried to start creating this network, at least did. for Antimateria, and try to connect. You, you know, it was it was very much like a a case in where I interviewed someone, and then that someone knew another someone who was already working with something similar, and then that someone met mm. another someone and. So for I think in a way it was a very organic way of building the network of people that I have collaborated with since then, and it has expanded in the same way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes it is very much about being there also for everything that these artists and curators and producers are working on. I think that's something that I found very important as well to be present in whatever they're working on as well. I mean, I'm not sure if that's like the obvious case or the obvious scenario, but at least for me, it has always been Mm -hmm. uh, about that. It has, you know, if if I know one person who has already, I don't know, like been working in whatever event or talk or panel or exhibition, that by being there, you're able to expand this network. So that's the reason why I think it's a very effective 
uh, affective, not necessarily effective exchange. <laughs> um, <laughs> because it comes from there. I think at least for me, it has always been something that feels quite sensible and quite organic in the sense of you know being yeah, there for I each feel other like it's very it's very personal what yeah. we do mm-hmm. and um just to follow up on on your question michelle about the um, the institutions i yeah. really don't think that especially younger artists that they're very linked to institutions but i do think we dorina and myself were trying to help them do that Might do you think it's important with, for funding or do you think it's important just for them to have that academic kind of background so that their work mm-hmm. is like taken seriously or what do you think I think it's important for funding mm-hmm. I mean I'm always like a cheerleader for artists getting paid and <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course it also is but she is also more focused on academia so I don't know if you yeah. want to Follow up on well, that. I, I think for me, it is, I don't know, it's it's sometimes very topic to, to talk about that. But for me, when I started working at the Centro de Cultura Digital, it was a lot about thinking how can we redistribute the resources that we have available. So for yeah. me, it was like sometimes what's available, it's not necessarily a budget, but it's a space or it's mentoring or it's uh, other sorts of resources that can help out build a stronger practice for, for these artists. So also, when I started lecturing as well, I realized that there was like big lack of information in regards to what these younger practitioners were doing. So for me, it's very much about, you know, like always being like, here's yeah. some bibliography, here's some references. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's just start writing yeah. and moving from here to there. And, and especially since I don't, I will very re- recently I started lecturing for a school based in Mexico City, but the last three years have been for a school that is not in Mexico City. So that's even a harder conversation to be had because, you know, a lot of these artists are like, these younger artists are like, oh, but if I am not in in Mexico City, does that mean I cannot make it? Does that mean my work is not relevant enough? It's not important enough? How can I connect to these other resources, whether that be a space for exhibiting my work or a space for even... Mm-hmm. talking with other artists who might be interested in the same things that I am. So I think that for me, I've, I've always tried to think about my work there, like both from the curatorial perspective and from the teaching perspective as someone who can reach these, these sides. If I've already been able to, you know, to approach this other area that might be much more institutionalized, but that can help other artists get there, then, you know, also exchanging these resources is important. I agree. That's what Janet Forty does, but more in a commercial aspect. Yeah, I agree. My question, I guess, is um, continuing from that. Is like, how do you retain these communities of artists and people that you work with and, and, and have them expand the network and kind of co-collaborate and find ways to, I don't know, even through your academic resources, Doreen, is there a way for other artists to contribute to that maybe aspect of, of Antamateria where they're also able to keep kind of the collaborations and the networks going after? I think it's a case of always trying to to keep the conversation flowing in terms, for instance, in terms of research. For me, it is very important that my students are able to have a space also in Antimateria to share mm-hmm. their work within the profiles section, but also what mm-hmm. they've been writing, not necessarily only for my lectures, but, you know, perhaps other things that they have there. And I mm-hmm. help out 
a little bit with, you know, polishing the, the writing part and then, you know, polishing that and translating that sometimes even in, in English. Do you do, you do all the I translations yourself or is there... Most yourself? of the times I do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Not, not with That's... every single thing, but I try to, yeah, to have a nice amount of translations available for people and to as as well. for myself, I just, I don't know, I think we try to do as much events and exhibitions as we can just to mm -hmm. again keep the conversation flowing and also I just make myself available for all, any artist that mm -hmm. wants to talk and I know Doreen does that as well and really just being there like yeah, yeah mm -hmm. exchange of ideas it's great I just you know it's always important for me that even with any program or anything that we have is like how do you retain those people and how do you have them help you know each other and how do you maybe connect them to create something new and so it's great that your platforms are both kind of those starting off points for people to connect and that's why with Antimateria you know the, the profiles that are created are so important and so I'm going to read a quick question from some from Natalia who just asked was it evident for your public to switch from material artwork to its digital twin what was their feedback about it for collectors So I think there are like two types of people that like our work. The people that see it as eye candy mm -hmm. and the people who, and that's really important for us too, to like make pretty things because we do like objects, we're upset. And the other people that, are actually, that actually get into it and uh, get that there's a digital component to it. Their feedback was, yeah, we're more interested in the people that actually care about the digital components because we see that a lot of times people just just stay with the visual part of it it is kind of yeah. difficult to like push them into with the towel downloading the song i think it has been downloaded like a couple of times and we've sold like 15 of them <laughs> so that tells you a lot about it. but i think it's important just an important way of artists to make money like you said i think because patty you talk a lot about the importance of placing them in the art market and, and and for example enabling them to work with brands or connecting them with other audiences that would buy their artwork so yeah if you could maybe talk about maybe the types of opportunities for your artists or mexican artists i feel like luis and i tend to yeah coach a lot of the younger artists into into the market. We we are looking for opportunities for them all of the time. Like right now we're working on an exhibition with market marketing agency. Mm -hmm. And so what they're trying to do is connect like connect us. They they're they kind of hired us as curators. And so what we're trying to do is bring a lot of young artists and connect them with brands. We also, we have done things for music festivals and we have done things for hotels, stuff like that. Artists don't see themselves as, let's say like product producers. Yeah. What we kind of want them to realize is that they can be and it, that it's not really a bad thing. Like a little bit of a commercial, so to speak, but it's not necessarily like... Yeah, yeah. but I also feel like it's a lot of the times it's because they don't, they've never really thought about their work as something physical. That's what we've discovered. And so we just work with them hand, hand in hand to translate it into something that is physical and that works for them and that 
can be sold. Yeah. Do you ever get someone that by the opposite and like not the artist, but like you said, a marketing agency or someone that comes to you specifically for something and then you're like, think of the artist like, oh, I know someone that can do this or is it kind of the other way? <laughs> no, we do. We do a lot of that, actually. Yeah, we do a lot of that. And we also and I'm sure Doreen does that, too. We recommend a lot of artists for other exhibitions, for museum exhibitions, for gallery exhibitions. Yeah. Yeah, we just drop names all around. Yeah. yeah. That's 80% of my job. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Name dropping. I'm name dealing. <laughs> You're like the agent, right? My next question um, I have for Patti uh, from Janet Forty. I know you mentioned that Janet Forty doesn't have a space, which I didn't know. You guys are doing a lot of pop ups all over the city. I know that you focus a lot on like establishing that connection between the online space and then exhibiting in the physical space. My question would be, how important is it for digital art to also have these physical spaces and create the digital environments and interactions with the audience? You know, because you do a lot of pop ups and I'm assuming they're all like these unique digital environments that you create each time. So the way we choose our spaces is just like whatever's available and whoever, whoever will, you know, have us basically. Yeah. And we, we just, that talks a lot about the Mexican way of doing things uh, and just being like super resilient and just spending for yourself, I think. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah. And also, I don't know, for example, something that we like to mention a lot is that we get most of our materials from downtown, from like tiny stores and whatever cheap things we can find. And we try to make it into something beautiful and amazing. And so for us, it's really important to just like, just also show that we can do something, uh, let's say professional looking, uh, but also being DIY. I have a, and another question from Natalia. She asks, um, how do you imagine digital the digital art market in Mexico in 10 years? Well, that's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how I imagine the digital art market in the world in 10 years. What I do know is that it, it's changing. I know there's more interest. And I know that it, I know firsthand that it's being sold more. So that's important. Mm -hmm. And Darina and I talk about this a lot. I think that what's eventually going to happen is that digital art is going to be just integrated into as a, as a media, not yeah. as an, a different category of art. And we see this happening in Mexico. There's this very important grant that's given to artists the, uh, by Fonca. And they just added this new category that is digital art and so we, we see this happening in 10 years what's going to happen it's just going to be integrated as video is or as photography yeah. is. so that's something new then because i was going to ask is it because you mentioned that you know now digital artists non-digital artists are starting to experiment with digital practices where before they wouldn't be so you know would they was it something that people would started to consider a trend and then now are like like you said they're integrating it as like an actual art form you know yeah. where they you said now grants make it available. People are having just exhibitions, digital or new media ex exhibitions. They're focusing more on that as a as a, as an artwork. Yeah, exactly. They're just yeah. using it as a medium mm -hmm. yeah. because because it's what's available to them, especially yeah. right now. And you can see that in art schools as well. I mean, I think it's super. Well, for me, it's very bizarre that 
the university that I work for <laughs> has, well, they have this the art school and the art school has two bachelors, the visual arts bachelor and the digital arts bachelor. So I think it is, weird. it is super very weird. weird. It's super bizarre because it's I mean, like, I so what, I would think it what does it digital arts, you know? Of course, exactly. So for me, it's like, well, whenever you see like the final degree shows, for instance, you see a lot of painting, but it's like a selfie or it's like, you know, yeah. something that is emulating in a way a digital device or a digital interface, because that is very much embedded into the conversation that we have right now in terms of how we connect with each other, how like, we understand ourselves, how can we share and act and create. And even right. though this is a painting, it's definitely talking about digital processes in there. So yeah. are we going to consider this somehow digital in terms of what's the discourse behind this? Or are we going to just like let these fall into a whole different category because it's painting, you know? And the same goes for whatever is created with digital tools. A lot of these production that is being done with digital tools is not necessarily talking of the digital the digital tools itself, you know, and even though a lot of it is and it has a very critical point of view in terms of, you know, what does it mean to work with these resources, a lot of it is not necessarily engaging with that conversation and is as important and as relevant as the practices that are. So for me, it's always a case of saying like, you know, it's interesting to see this in an art school because this, for instance, for me as a curator, sometimes it's like, okay, we can have like a very interesting degree show, you know, merging together all of the practices that we're seeing here because they're talking about very similar things. So why are we, you know, tearing this apart and putting this into categories that don't necessarily make sense anymore? Yeah. So I think little by little they are also realizing that. Yeah, of course, because like we said, the digital culture is so ingrained now in our society, which kind of leads me to the next question, because it's ingrained so much now that it's it's it creates an evolution of the type of artwork that we're seeing, not just in Mexico, but all over the world. And it's it does evolve you as an artist and it evolves the culture. So for me, it seems like the day like where Mexican subject matter was about certain types of things, it's it's evolving. So how do you feel like a lot of these young artists using new media and digital media are responding to like the new realities of the world through their art? Like, for example, like COVID, censorship, political mm -hmm. issues. Like, are you seeing any trends or specific themes in their work that are speaking to that evolution of digital culture? I think I've seen a lot of hybrid artworks, which I think it's very interesting because I think for me, it's also important to think about that it doesn't make sense to think about, you know, that the future is digital and considering that the past was not. Like yeah. that yeah. just, just doesn't make sense um, <laughs> for me at least. Yeah. So in that same in, in that same line of thinking, it's like, you know, what we need to do is not that one against the other or one more relevant than the other or one being, you know, like more accessible than the other is more about what do you have then again available you know, and how do you work with that? So I think that hybrid artworks that deal in a way with, you know, both sides of what's inside the screen and what's outside the screen is what I've been seeing as a trend. I think, you know, for the past couple of years, at least in, in terms of like very, very 
emerging art work, like literally what's going on in art schools. That's what Mm -hmm. I've seen. A lot of people who are, for instance, very interested in illustration and they have like, you know, a practice of uh, uh, made illustration, but then they are adding a layer of augmented reality to it because they feel like, you know, this is an interesting way for them to expand their artwork as well. And since they do have these tools available, this is something that they've been exploring. And I can see that like over and over. I think that probably the past two generations of students that I've had, their last degree shows have been hybrid, you know, things that are located within a space, but then at the same time, something that is complemented with with a digital layer to it. And it's one artwork. So I think that's important because that's changing, right? It's not that you're thinking about like, you have these two artworks, one that looks like this and the other one that looks like that. No, it's the same artwork. And I think that working with that logic is very interesting. I think that's definitely a trend to it. Yeah. I mean, I've experienced it as well. I've worked with a couple of artists that have taken, like you said, the reality and and just made it more accessible or more pervasive to whatever the subject matter is by adding that digital layer. But it doesn't take away the fact that it's based in reality and based in our world. Patty, what do you think about that? Have you seen any... Similar to Doreen, that more of a hybrid culture with... Yeah, definitely. Uh, Especially, like I said, with artists that didn't used to consider new media as as part of their practice. I think they're experimenting more with that. And when it comes to topics, I think I haven't really seen a change with the artists that I follow, at least, Mm -hmm. uh, thanks to COVID and to the... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, to the restrictions, but I have seen some of the artists engaging in more political concepts, like Julieta Gil, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's working, well, she has been working with the protests that the Women's March that happened here in mm-hmm. Mexico. She has worked mm-hmm. with that, she has been working with that topic, which is very interesting. And so I can see a lot of artists becoming more political and also. Yeah, and also a lot of artists that didn't used to work with digital medium starting to experiment with it, which mm-hmm. I think is wonderful. Me too. I know you both talked about like Hello World, but the year taking over this year and stuff. What about the for women in the digital arts? I know they you're working specifically with this exhibition, but do you feel like it's something that is growing? It's something that women are definitely getting into more and and using it as a way for them to talk about issues relating to women or like how is that climate for women? I feel like it is I feel like it is growing and I feel like a lot of the artists that um, I selected for this cycle of Hello World are mm-hmm. really young. Super happy to see that. And yeah, I feel like it's growing. The community is definitely growing. And what I've seen that I mean and this is something that uh, the women at Hello World keep saying is that the why the, they started the festival is because no one uh, took them seriously when they got to somewhere and they wanted to play or they wanted to show their videos like people didn't take them seriously and they thought they were like assistants or they didn't know how to set up their equipment so this is something that definitely still happens yeah. uh, I feel like especially somewhere like not, you know, in Mexico, but other countries too that have that kind of like element of women not really driving these industries or driving these right. networks, right? Either. Right, it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it happens to me as a producer 
I'm the producer for an art fair and like people don't really take me seriously sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's like something that has happened to a lot of, of women here. And, mm -hmm. but I do think Hello World is helping change that. And I also think they're building networks mm -hmm. um, yeah. in which we all know each other. So we all know what the other one does and we can tell people, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So they're forming, yeah. are, they, are you saying they're forming a lot of women-led collectives, women-led digital art kind of network? Yeah. Are, yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah definitely. But also just yeah. creating this knowledge of, you know that the other person is doing this. And so if you see them working at some place, then you can tell people like this, she knows what mm -hmm. she's doing. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, and like Patty says, I think it's also... Yes, building these networks that are super important. And I think that I do feel that we are a very close community, which I think is yeah. is great. Like, I don't know if that translates in the same way of, you know, of working together and building together in other areas of production. So in that sense, I've always felt that, you know, working from within digital arts, as at least for me, it has always been working within a community that very easily becomes your family that very easily becomes very close to you and that very easily becomes your friends. So even if you are working together and you are set up in like a scenario of a professional or even economical exchange, I think it's always a case of, it's very easy to become like deeply involved within this community yeah. because most of us are there to, yeah, to help each other. So I think yeah. that especially within these networks created by women, for women, you can yeah. see that in a very, very literal way. And I think that also like patty says you, whenever you are having like a yeah setting up an exhibition or or having a performance or for me for instance i also work sometimes as a bj so i like i play visuals for <laughs> different events That's so this cool. uh, well this project for instance i i started collaborating with a uh, uh, with, with another partner for the past like years and this year i started working on my own um, with under the name mini pixel I love my name. I love that name. I, I mean, but, but throughout the years, I think it's always yeah. been a case of like, oh, so you need help installing and setting up your stuff. Oh, you, you don't know how to do this and do that. And for me, it's like, it's very interesting to see that within that area, but then also within, for instance, the curatorial side of installing the artwork, you know, or like, especially when you're dealing with like very heavy tech and right. it's normally you know like a, a case of like oh oh you do, do you need help with that and it's like for me it's very funny because it's like well of course i don't like i i first of all i'm an architect so don't don't approach don't approach me that way i know what i'm doing i know how to build things and then yeah, second exactly. of all i my only talent in this world is to connect things to connect <laughs> wires, to open up things, and then to putting that back together. That's my only talent in life. So, okay. Um, but, th but then again, I think it's an interesting conversation to be had because sometimes it's not that people is aware that they are doing that. And genuinely, sometimes it's a case that, you know, they want to help. So yeah, I yeah. think yeah. it's a, I don't know, it's a, it's a really interesting gray area, I would say. But by pointing that out, from the networks created for women by women, I think you can also have a conversation with people who are outside of these networks and yeah. make them aware of how they are approaching exactly. their, their peers. Create more like of a dialogue on awareness about that. 
I've heard one final thought on that. Like I've heard a lot of people say that obviously a lot of the digital arts kind of um, movement right now is based in Mexico City. I know neither of you are from Mexico City. Are there other cities within Mexico that you feel also have like emerging scenes? Is there a way for them also to network? And, and are they part of networks that are currently in Mexico City? Or is it kind of a separate thing? Like a lot of this is based just in... I think in specifically city. for digital art, uh, yeah. I think Mexico City is where most of it is happening, but also, and I think it's mostly thanks to Doreen, Toluca. There's a lot of things, (laughs) there's a lot of things happening in Toluca. It's where that bachelor in digital arts is. Oh, okay. And I think it's like, it's a rare one. It's crazy, I think. I think I'm also the consequence of that. Like Toluca is very close to Mexico City. It's like a one hour drive from Mexico City. But yeah, aside from, from, these two places there's a lot of things happening in Guadalajara just surrounding like emerging art but mm-hmm. also in Tijuana Tijuana has so, yeah. always been a hub uh, for electronic and digital art and I think it has like died down a little bit this recent years like historically it has been a place in Mexico where a lot of uh, artists like electronic and digital artists have come from yeah. but strangely like the newer generations are not so interested in that in Tijuana Hmm. I don't know why that is maybe they got tired of it I don't know maybe I think it's also important to point out that at least I think that in in Mexico generally speaking uh, media arts production has always been very close closely tied to electronic music Hmm. so whenever you can find you know like electronic music like very strong practices and very strong events you can well it's almost the the case that you're going to find in the same place a media arts uh, scene developing so i think that's the reason why tijuana well at least in the early 2000s it was very important for that a lot of the artists that started there eventually moved to other places as well uh Mm -hmm. i think it's also due to well to the violence in, in in northern mexico so also monterrey used to have like you know also like an interesting tie to to media arts production probably not as strong but the bachelors that i graduated from it it was also a weird one and it was new media art and visual art but that got like canceled like it doesn't exist anymore and Mm -hmm. only like five generations of students graduated from that Mm -hmm. but it was a really interesting program and I think a lot well not a lot but I don't know like five artists <laughs> that are still like working on on digital media come from that career like that bachelor so I think that's it was it was interesting for a while but right now it's more of a traditional fine art on behalf of the Agora team girls uh, thank you so much Patricia Michelle and Doreen for um, being here with us sharing your experiences really insightful we will see you at the next Agora talk until then see you and have a good evening bye thank, thank you, you. <laughs> bye